We, uh, we're on page 24 and 25 tonight, and I'm getting emotional because my big book has, has lost its power, and it's fallen apart, and uh, I've probably done at least 1,100 meetings here with this book, and, and I got a new one, and I'm going to change the cover because the book itself is, you know, it's sentimental value, but it's the message in the book that's important and whether I follow its directions. Um, we got to page 24, we're in there, there's a solution. And uh, we've covered uh, what they've told us from the cover to page 24. They're talking about two things. And they're trying to help us, because remember how the book was written. And when you understand how the book was written, you can see there's a little bit of inconsistencies in some of the way it's put together, the first 59 pages, and then the second 59 to 102. It's a little bit different flavor. They don't hit people with their self-centeredness and spiritual malady from the first page. Remember, when uh, the doctor was talking to Bill, and Bill wasn't getting anybody better, he says, well, stop hammering about your spiritual experience and tell them uh, about your disease. Tell them about your experience with alcohol, your powerlessness, your uh, inability to drink and control and your inability to drink and choose whether you're going to drink or not. And so the book is laid out that way. The first 24 pages uh, are designed to talk to us about two things. Our inability to control how much we drink, we never know what's going to happen once we put alcohol in our bodies. Now, we may think we know before we take the first drink, but that's a delusion. That's the obsession of the mind that kills us because it tells us it's okay. Did anybody say they were going to quit and then drink again? Anybody not do that? Uh, if you did that, your mind told you it was okay. Why? Because right before you drank, your mind couldn't see anything wrong with it. And that means your mind is damaged. It can't see the truth about alcohol. And that's why willpower won't work, because when emotions are in conflict with intellect, the emotions always win. So your intellect could say, gee, I, I don't want to drink, but your emotions say, I'm irritable, restless, discontent, like Jason said. He described very well the spiritual malady, and the result of that is you don't feel good, and your mind tells you you need a drink. So now we're at page 24, and the way the book is laid out, I don't know if they did intentionally, but they have 24 is the absolute uh, end of telling us exactly why we need a solution. And then 25 says there is a solution. And it occurred to me today that there is a solution. It doesn't say there is a solution of what. It doesn't say what it's a solution to, does it? But we're going to see how the book actually says that the way it's laid out. Does this make sense? It says, and this is the fact, this is a fact, it's not an argument, it's a fact that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Now, has anybody in this room lost the power of choice in drink? If you've lost the power of choice in drink, it means you have no choice whether you're going to drink or not. Now, think about that. Now, a lot of people say it, but they don't, they say it here, but they don't understand it in their heart. So they're going to explain it. it says, our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We just talked about that. Why won't willpower work? 
Well, willpower won't work if right before you drink, you can't, your will can't see anything wrong with it. And that's, what, that's the problem with the alcoholic, is that your mind tells you it's okay to drink because you're drinking sober. And so remember, alcoholism strikes before you drink. After you drink, it's the result of just putting this alcohol in your body and all the bad things that happen. So it says, I am unable at certain times to bring it to my consciousness with sufficient force, the memory and the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And it, it really helps to read in the first person. Is that true for anybody in this room? I'm unable to bring it to consciousness. That means into consciousness so that I'm aware of it and I'm awake to it. When we talk about spiritual awakening, our consciousness when we're awake. And so if we're, if we're separated from God and we're not awake to the God's power, my consciousness won't be able to have the memory and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And then it says, I'm without defense against the first drink. Now I've heard people say it and read it, but what does it really mean? Think about what it really means. What does it mean for me today? Well, I'm without defense against the first drink today. I'm an alcoholic. Well, how can you say that? You've done all these meetings. Your, your big book's falling apart. Well, because I never have the choice of my own. And that's what Jason was talking about. On my own, I never have the choice. But I have one choice I can make today. And I heard this really well from Mark Houston. He says, the only choice I make today is whether I seek the power that gives me the choice. And I was, I remember when I heard that, I said, well, because it's true. If I start thinking I have the power of choice today, then I, I stop doing the deal, and I'm back in me running the show, my mind. Remember, my, the disease center's in my mind. And, it's, and, and, and they're very nice. They say I'm without defense against the first drink. What they really mean is you're going to drink again. I listened to speaker Bob O. I really liked him, but he says he always goes up to the newcomers and he says, you know, you're going to die. I said, well, gee, how does that help him? But what he's trying to tell him is that this is serious disease. And if you don't do these steps and you don't have a relationship with God, you have no power. So they describe a few more paragraphs. They say the certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time I shall handle myself like other people. Well, we must tell ourselves that, or we wouldn't do it. Complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Now, if you saw a guy on, uh, on YouTube keep putting his hand in the stove and keep burning it, he burns the first finger, then he burns the second finger, then he runs out of fingers, so he starts burning his wrist. You'd say, well, this man's crazy, but that's what we did. And this analogy of the defense that keeps from putting his hand on a hot stove is very powerful. Does anybody think that that's a powerful analogy? Because on page 85, when we're in the solution and we have the recovered promises, page 84, and we're in, we've done this 10th step and we have power in our lives, look what it says. If tempted by alcohol, I would recoil from it as from a hot flame. Now, how does that happen? It says that it happens, it's a miracle, and it happens because I'm in fit spiritual condition. Now, they don't tell us that on page 24. They don't want to scare you off. But what they're telling you is that if you have this problem, then this is, there's a solution to it. And it says the alcoholic may say, it won't burn me this time. 
And then he goes down, he says, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? And it, at the last paragraph, it says, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, that means someone who cannot control how much they drink, who has the allergy of the body. So the bottom of page 24, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. They don't say he has placed himself beyond human aid. They don't use absolutes in this book. Uh, but he probably has. And unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. So in other words, if it's fully established in me that I can't see the truth about alcohol right before I drink, and I have no power or defense against drinking, then I'm beyond human aid. There's no human power that will help me. And it says, these stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. Now, I, I've looked at that line today. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. I think that he, he's saying that there was a grace of God that came into people throughout history, and they were able to get this gift, this unmerited gift. So many want to stop, but cannot. So there is a solution. So what is the solution to? The solution is to not having a defense against the first drink, not having the power of choice. We don't have to worry about our bodies and the allergy of the body if we don't drink, right? So there is a solution to that. Anybody think that's a good idea? Because that's really why people come in here in the beginning, and that's why the book's laid out like this. They can't stop drinking. Their lives are a mess. So they're going to give a solution to no power against the first drink. Then when they get into how it works, which Lori read tonight, which is on page 59, then they're going to tell us that the root of our problem is our self-centeredness and our spiritual malady and our separation from God. And that when we treat the spiritual malady, then we straighten out mentally and physically. So let's look at the solution. Now, everybody's gone to a lot of meetings and heard the solution at meetings, right? You've heard a lot of things said about what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to recover. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. All right, now let's see what the book says. The book says there is a solution. And it says, and it starts out with this almost none of us, which means none of us. None of you are going to like what we had to do, which is self-searching. You're going to search yourself. You're going to level your pride. Leveling your pride is very hard for me and I think for a lot of you the complete humility and the confession of shortcomings. So the solution is self-searching, leveling of your pride and confession of your shortcomings, and this process requires for its successful consummation. I don't think they're talking about consummating the marriage here. I think they're talking about consummating a relationship with God. And then, of course, it tells us later that once we get this relationship, we have to continue to do the steps to keep it. It's a daily reprieve, right? But this is just the beginning. They're just on page 25. And then here's a line that I, I saw it differently. I'd read it for a long time, but we saw that it really worked in others. So that's what the fellowship is supposed to do. It's supposed to be, Jason's uh, testimony today was a powerful testimony to the power of the steps and the relationship with God. Matt's was very powerful. 30 days is a big deal. And it says, so if I see it really works in others, and here's, I think, what causes alcoholics to die. 
hadn't read it, read it this way. It says, I had, co had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as I had been living it. And I realized that it, it's, it says it very nicely, but what it means is until I come to believe, absolutely believe, the hopelessness and futility of life as I've been living it, I, I won't do the deal. And to me that describes complete defeat. A true belief in the hopelessness and futility of life as I had been living it. Anybody relate to that? It's a very nice way of saying it. I read it a lot of times, but when you see the power in it. So if you don't believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as you've been living it, then you're constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself. Because if you're constitutionally capable of being honest with yourself, you will see the hopelessness and futility of life as you've been living it. And if you can't see it at some point, you won't, you won't, it says, we read it tonight, and it's powerful, and I, Gloria's right, we should read it. It says, there, those who do not recover, people cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men are constitutionally capable of being honest with themselves. So I said about it, who, who is incapable of, of doing this program or will not or cannot do it if you can't believe in the hopelessness and futility of your life? You're not going to do it. Uh, we had a new man today. We were talking with him, and I was trying to understand why this time he decided he was done for good because he'd done the same things he'd done before other times. And I was trying to see if he'd come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as he'd been living it. I could still remember that moment when I was completely defeated. I said, I just can't go on anymore, and I don't want to ever forget that. So if you, if you understand that, then you can and will be able to do the program. But if you can't see that, you're never going to do it, right? Now, we see a lot of people come here, and they're pretty, they're pretty beaten down. But the problem is to sustain that belief. Because if we don't sustain that belief, then the ego rebuilds quickly. And we're defeated on Saturday, and by Wednesday, it wasn't that bad. And that's what kills us. We can't come to believe it, and we can't sustain it. And so I think it's a very powerful line when you look at it that. So therefore, if you've come to believe that, if you're approached by those in whom the problem has been solved, so Jason 10 years ago was completely defeated. He was approached by someone who the problem had solved, and then there was nothing left for him but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools later. You see, there's no real choice in it if you're completely defeated. And so this book is written for people who are completely defeated. This is written for people who are going to have a bad day because they're not going to do it. And, and the problem is I can't make anybody come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as they've been living it. Because some people can take a lot of hopelessness and a lot of futility. And the level of pain that we can endure before we surrender. And, and I really love the way Jason talked. The, the, Coming to surrender is so painful, and once you surrender, it's such a relief. Yeah, that's great. And, and so um, uh, I, can, I can remember that for me. When you finally give up, truly give up, and I know Gary talks that about, you're free. You're starting the process of freedom from the bondage of self. And the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet is this book in the directions. Now, there is one problem with the kit of spiritual tools. It does, there's a warning on it. It's, it you get this, this toolbox, and there's a warning on it. You know what it says? These tools wor work unless they're plugged into God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
if they're plugged into your socket, they're not going to work. These aren't spiritual tools for Michael to run his life better. And I'm being silly, but it's true. They're power tools that have to be plugged into the right socket. And what we find, at least for me, is that I'll have the simple kit of spiritual tools, and sometimes I'm plugging it into the Michael socket, and it's not working. And then when I get disturbed, I have to unplug it and plug it into the other one. And it says, we have found much of heaven. And heaven to me is being in the now with God, just being at peace and rocket it. It doesn't say you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take a, a train into the fourth dimension. You're going to be rocketed into it. And look at the words that they use, of which you had not even dreamed. So you're going to enter a new relationship, a new way of living. And then he, these last two paragraphs are really powerful. The great fact is just this and nothing less. This is the great fact. And we had the great news, right, and the good news. And the great news was that we had a common solution. And the great fact is that they have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Now, they have an asterisk here, and there's Appendix 2, which we'll look at next week. Or we might look at it after we read... Uh, uh, Rowan Hazard and Dr. Young's story, which have revolutionized. So what does the spiritual experience do? It revolutionized my whole attitude towards life, towards my fellows, and towards God's universe. It takes me away from my self-centered attitude to a whole new way of looking at the world. And we put our lives in order with God, right? God's God, and I'm not God, and we're not going to play God, right? And then steps four through seven, we put our lives in order with our thinking. And we see how our thinking, when it's self-centered, is, is uh, wrong judgment, wrong belief, and wrong actions, right? And then toward our fellows, in eight and nine, we make amends, and we'll be willing to make amends to those we've been harmed and towards God's universe. We change our whole way we look at it. We, and the other thing that's changed for me is that my whole attitude is, what can I do to serve God and others? How can I be of service to God and his children? And then here's the central fact. So ask yourself, is this the central fact of your life today? The central fact of their life today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. Now, I really believe the central fact of my life today, I was thinking about it, is the absolute certainty that God has entered into my heart and life in a way which is indeed miraculous. Jason described it. Look at it, 2004, and look at today. I, I just look back. It, it's a miracle that I'm here today doing this study, uh, having the life I have today. But, the, but the, uh, the great gift is the absolute certainty that I can go to God and let go of all, anything that's bothering me and give it to God, and it can go away. It can change the way I see it. Now, why I don't go to it right away and I stew a little bit that's the riddle of our existence. He talks about that in the 12 and 12. But, but I understand that, and I know he has accomplished, commenced accomplished those things for me which I could never do for myself. This reminds me of the line on page 100. When we look back, the things that happened when I put myself in God's hands were better than anything I could have planned. Think about that. And that's so true. So whenever I'm a little down or worried about something, I just, I just think of that line. I said, look back where I was 15 years ago. Wow. Why, why would I worry about something that doesn't even exist right now? And it helps me get gratitude. It helps me get back to the now. And then it says, and does anybody agree with that? Yes. And we'll yes. try to, we're going to have some time people can share. It says, 
if you are as seriously alcoholic as, as I was, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. So here they give you the great fact, they give you the hope, right? They tell you all you have to do is believe that your life is hopeless and futile and pick up the simple kit of two. But here's a warning. If you're seriously alcoholic, there's no middle of the road solution. See, here's the other problem that people have. They, there are two doors, alcoholic death and spiritual life, but they want the third door. <laughs> and there's no third door. There's no middle of the road. And the other thing that I think people don't realize is that there's really only one door to take. They cannot face the alternatives that they have to live a spiritual life or else because they can't see the hopelessness and futility of life as they're living it. And it says, when it says these are difficult alternatives to face, right? Die an alcoholic death, death or live a spiritual life. I said, well, these guys are being silly. Now, of course, there's a, it's an easy alternative. So I read it, I don't know how many times I've read it. Maybe 500 times. And it finally occurred to me that what's, the, what's hard to face is that there are only two alternatives. It's not that the alternatives are hard to choose, but as an alcoholic, unless you believe in the hopelessness and futility of life, you can't see that there are only two doors. And it's a gift when you can see that there are only two doors. And so uh, it says, if you're in a position, and here they go again, where life was becoming impossible, and if you had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid. So the, where, how do you pass into the region from which there is no return through human aid? When you've lost the power of choice. And we don't have the power of choice. There's no human aid that's possible. Now, the fellowship is very powerful when showing you that it really works in others. And the fellowship is very powerful in showing you the, cool, the kit of spiritual tools. But the, the fellowship itself isn't the power. It gets you to the power. It shows you the way to the power. And when you think about it, when this book was written, there was no AA. This book was the getting you to the power. And so this was like the first meeting in print. We talk about the grapevine, a meeting in print. This is basically the first meeting in print. This is a 12th step to the world. And it says, one is to go into the bitter end, which is not good, by the way. And you have, if to do that, now look what you have to do. You have to blot out, you see, the more you study this, a lot of people, there are new words in here. Blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation. I am not awake, I'm not spiritually awake to my intolerable situation. I can't see that. I have to blot it out as best we could and the other to accept spiritual help. So when do you accept spiritual health, help? When you can't blot out anymore. You can't blot out your intolerable situation, and that's a gift. I think that's the grace of God. When we can see the truth about my hopeless and futility of life as I'd be living it. And I've heard a lot of speakers, Jason and I listen to a lot of talk, they talk about you'll get that belief, but then you have to sustain it. And one of the ways you sustain it is by going to meetings and admitting you're an alcoholic and working with others and doing the steps and being of service, you see. So. That's what this book is designed to do. Now, the next page starts where they tell us where the solution came from. And it's very powerful, the last three pages. And then when we finish that, then we'll look at the spiritual experience appendix in the back. So, I hope that uh, this was helpful. And let me turn it off.